Welcome to Staying Connected, a podcast where I talk to other people about their stories with feds or vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Staying Connected. This is your host, Katie, and before we get into the show, I want to remind you that the views, information, and opinions in these podcasts are those of the individuals involved and do not represent the opinions of the Marfan Foundation. The Marfan Foundation is not responsible for and does not verify for accuracy any of the information contained in them, nor does the information constitute medical or other professional advice or services. This show is not produced by or affiliated with the Marfan Foundation or the VEDS movement. In our last episode, we talked to Kelly Gann, who was diagnosed with VEDS back in 2009 after several medical events and persistence from her primary care doctor led them to suspect VEDS. In today's episode, the last episode of this season, we're going to talk to Katie DeCourcy, whose husband Mike was diagnosed with VEDS in 2020, as well as her son. Katie's going to share her perspective as a spouse and as a mom. Before we go over to the interview, if you want to support this show, consider joining my Patreon. For a few dollars a month, you can make sure this show continues to reach people around the world with real-life stories about vets. You can join the Patreon at patreon.com slash translucentone, and you can also support the show by sharing it with people you know to help us raise awareness of vets around the world together. Thank you so much for your support, and a huge thanks to my current patrons who have already been supporting the show. My top-tier patrons are listed in the episode show notes. Hey, Katie, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and sharing your perspective as a spouse um, with someone for this condition. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and then we'll jump in. Yeah, thank you for having me, Katie. And so my name is also Katie. I'm Katie DeCourcy. And my husband, Mike, um, has vascular Ehlers-Danlos along with my child and a number of other family members. And... So I know that, you know, we, I talked to Mike last season or no, two seasons ago now, actually, I talked to Mike two seasons ago about his story and his diagnosis. So we're not going to go like take a deep dive into that diagnosis story, but I would love to hear what that was like for you. Like, can you describe that experience from your perspective? Sure. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll back up just a second. So the reason we even went down genetic testing path was that our son was born and had a lot of health issues right from the get-go. And and I kept asking why, and no one could answer. So ultimately we had genetic testing done and it was a surprise when it came back and they actually found uh, vascular Ehlers-Danlos, not only in our child, um, but in my husband as well. And, And at the time I was, I think like eight months pregnant, I was pretty pregnant and, and it was, very stressful and we didn't, it was too late to test and the baby that I was pregnant with. And so there were a lot of questions around whether she would be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and pretty quickly after we got the diagnosis and um, we found out that Mike also had multiple aneurysms, which was a shock and that our child had an enlarged aorta, which was a shock. So it was like every week, another piece of bad news. And um, and even just the way that we were told, they, the doctor couldn't get a hold of Mike. So they told me, and it was right before the weekend. It was like 5 p.m. on a Friday. So I had to tell it both to him and then ultimately to our family and trying to figure out how to even 
convey that was really, really challenging. How did you end up conveying that message? Oh, to be honest, I waited, I think, 24 or 48 hours. I, I just didn't want to ruin it. was Halloween weekend. I didn't want to ruin the joy of that because it was one of our child's first Halloweens. Um, and he was so excited. And so I just, I, I let that day go. And so we could enjoy it and try to park it. And then I, I blanked it out, to be honest. It was really, really difficult. I said to him, I think, don't Google this. Um, let's let the experts tell us what this means. You know, it sounds serious, but it also sounds like there's some hope. We live in Texas. There's a lot of experts. Um, and so I just said, let's take this one day at a time. And then we relied a lot on faith. I mean, we, um, at that point, we had already had a child who had a lot of needs, medical needs that were not expected. We had lost a child and that was a big, big part of our story leading up to this. We had dealt with a lot of grief through the loss of that, that baby, I should say loss of that pregnancy. Um, and so through working through that grief, we had a foundation, thank goodness, um, for dealing with grief and dealing with difficult things, but it was still a real blow. And I was, I was really mad at God for a long time, to be honest, just trying to grapple with why would this happen? Mm -hmm. So you got your son's diagnosis when you were eight months pregnant? Yeah, roundabout. And then how long after it, after that? was Mike's diagnosis. It was at the same time. So oh, you got them both at the same together. time. So what happened was we got the genetic testing for our son, trying to figure out why was he on a feeding tube? Why did he have all these following issues and some motor issues? And um, they didn't actually find an answer to that per se. Um, instead, they found vascular Ehlers-Danlos as an incidental. Mm -hmm. And because they tested both of us, Mike and I, at the same time, I got those results together. And they that was what they called me with, was both of their with results. both of them. Yes. So how did, so you I mean, you talked about your faith playing into this. Like how, mm -hmm. take me through this grieving period, like yeah. while you're eight months pregnant. Like, So um, after my son was born, or our son was born, um, we um, about a year later got pregnant with another child. And and we've always had a very strong faith. I've always relied on my faith to get me through challenges. And, and at, at the end of the first trimester, so fairly late, and I lost that baby. And it was a very difficult time for us. And baby's heart stopped. And both Mike and I just really, it, it hit us hard. We were, we trusted God, but we were very bitter. We were very angry. We couldn't understand why. And um, maybe six months into that process, we found a grief ministry and for parents like us and, and had, that was really a turning point. And it, I learned a lot of lessons there. I think the first thing is I really realized I was not in control that that child and, and ultimately, and my son and my husband, they're, they're not mine. And, and um, while I'm grateful to be with them and that doesn't, that's not a guarantee. And I also learned that, and, and I really do believe this, that all things ultimately um, are used towards good, even if we don't understand that right now, or, or even ever, I really do believe that. And, um, and then I also, the third thing, the last thing uh, was kind of what I call an eternal perspective. So in my faith, what I believe is that 
Um, ultimately, and you know, we're here for a short period of time, but I believe that there's an eternity to look forward to. And keeping that perspective, you know, I kept thinking, how in the world am I going to survive, you know, another 50 or 60 years if I'm lucky without this baby? Um, and later without my son and my husband as I grieved their diagnosis. And then trying to remember that, okay, it's not just about here on earth and, and kind of keeping that perspective has really helped me cope and with the fear of losing them. So that was a big point and that, that grief ministry kind of helped me realize those three things and many others. And, and I learned that through suffering, we can grow. And while it's hard and it's yucky and nobody wants to be there, um, I learned a lot of really good lessons that then fast forward about a year later, I was pregnant and so overjoyed. We were so excited about this baby. And right at the end, we got this really awful diagnosis or what felt awful at the time. And kind of one thing after another, Mike has aneurysms, which we never expected. Our child has an enlarged aorta and might need surgery down the line. It was like just a barrage. And so suddenly I've been so excited to have this baby. And I was like, hold the baby and hold the baby. And like, I didn't want her to come because I was so afraid if she also had beds, mm-hmm. what was going to happen? All the people I loved, you know, I might lose. Does she have beds? She does not. Congratulations. And thank you. And we're super grateful um, for that. Now you talked about, you know, at the time that being a really terrible diagnosis, has that feeling changed for you? It has. I mean, much like the loss of our child and that pain never goes away, but the, the intensity of it has dulled. Um, it's different from the loss of our child and that every event um, that we have though kind of brings it back fresh. And so it's returning to that grieving cycle and trying to kind of learn to muddle through it and go back to the things that have helped us like our faith mm-hmm. um, to get through that. So I've heard that you are an amazing advocate in an emergency and have been very organized in all of this. Like Mike talked about, I think how he really leaned on you. Can you speak to yeah. some of that? Like what, sure. what has that been like for you? Yeah. Um, it was a learning curve. I'm not a medical person. So I, I laugh all the time. Like I am such the wrong person to be Mike's wife and my son's mom, like my sister's a nurse. She's way more equipped, but, um, I care about them and I care about people with beds. And so I'm going to do everything I can to protect them. So what that looked like is really learning about the condition. And then for me being prepared, I have our emergency bag packed. I have a little checklist because I get frantic when events happen. So I need something to tell me what to do. Um, And I follow the steps. And then I'm like a bulldog in that ER. I'm insistent that they take this seriously, that this is serious every time and that they need to contact our medical team. Um, And generally that's worked. I know for a lot of folks it hasn't, Um, but we've been very fortunate that we have a good team here uh, where we live and they're generally collaborative. And, and it's been fairly good. What is in your emergency bag? Oh, goodness. (laughs) It got very big during COVID because we had all the like safety supplies. Um, so a couple of things, it's my little checklist that literally tells me like, don't forget your wallet. Don't forget your credit cards. And cause I've forgotten them 
lots of times, believe it or not. Um, it is also um, things like something simple, like something to eat, a bottle of water, masks right now for COVID, and comfy clothes for Mike and I, because um, we've spent many a night, um, as a lot of people with beds, like overnight in the hospital, uh, socks, stuff like that. And yeah. chargers, I should say chargers are a big one uh, for That's our phones and things. Yeah. That's good stuff. And what about the school? Like, have you done anything at the school for yeah. your son? I'm glad that you asked about that. Yeah. I mean, both for the emergency preparedness and for the school, and um, we have so many great resources in the community. And, and I have to thank you, Katie, because a lot of that is due to you. And um, so we, we utilize all those things. We kind of put our own personal touch on them. Um, and so we have um, kind of a, an overview of what we do for our son. And every school year we sit down with um, the entire school, anyone at the school who interacts with him and we teach them about what beds is and that it's a serious condition. And we kind of walk them through the emergency plan and the warning signs of what to look for. Um, and it's a very collaborative discussion. And it's it actually has enabled us to educate a lot of people in our community. Um, and it's also a chance to make sure that he has the opportunity to have a safe and healthy childhood, and um, which is really important to us. You know, I want to ask you something that you as a spouse would think is something helpful for another spouse yeah. to know, like advice, because you, because truly like there, so Patrick Westmoreland came on and shared Jessica's story after she passed away a couple mm -hmm. years ago. Um, but I think that you are the first interview of a spouse with a living yeah. spouse of a living spouse, you know? So what kind of advice do you have for somebody going through this? Gosh, that's hard. There's a lot of things I would want to tell people. I mean, I think first, thank you for asking me. Um, I think the first thing is have hope, have hope that, you know, we can't promise anything in particular is going to go one way or another, but there's reason to hope. And we have awesome research on the horizons. We have studies on the horizons. We do know things about this condition and more and more every day. And I truly believe from my faith perspective that ultimately there is good. And even though we may not understand it right now. And so to just stay focused on the good. Um, and I think a couple other things I would say are one connect and um, not everybody is ready to get deep into the vets community, but to form some connections so that you don't feel alone. You know, I used to call up Rachel Taze in the middle of the night and be like, how do you live? <laughs> how do you get just to the next hour? Um, and just knowing that there was someone else who had walked in my shoes for a bit um, was really, really important and um, to not feel so alone because vets is so rare it can feel really lonely, um, especially when you're thinking about your spouse and your child being affected. Yeah. Um, and I think the last thing, and this is true to me, is to be prepared. You know, for me, that knowledge and preparation and having a plan, um, it's not perfect. It, again, no guarantees, but it gives me peace of mind to know that I've done everything I possibly could to keep my boys safe. And yeah that I really take a lot of peace in that. And so we have seatbelt covers in the car. We have our medical plans in our cars. And in, now in my parents' cars, we have in my child's backpack and Mike's briefcase, you know, we, we kind of have those plans everywhere 
And so now we're, I just feel like we're more covered and that mm-hmm. has really helped as well. That's great. That is all really solid, great advice. Thank you. In my opinion. Thank you. Well, I know you've been through the ringer too. And I think the other thing I would add to that, and and Mike's great about reminding us of this, is like through through the suffering that we go through with beds, there is growth to be had. And there are, you know, it's sometimes hard to see that when you're in the moment. And I would have probably screamed if someone had told me when Mike was sitting in the ICU. But truly coming out the other side, I see now why I'm here. You know, I see sometimes the purpose in all of this years later. Um, and I've grown from that. Uh, you know, it's not something I would wish on anyone. Um, but I do think that all of us with feds, you know, are extra special, truly, because we've been through a lot of adversity to get where we are today. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about some of those really like I, I know that you've had some very challenging experiences, not only with the diagnosis, but then as you mentioned, like Mike was in the ICU. Um, what was that experience like for you when he was in the ICU? Yeah, it was really tough and probably one of the toughest moments of my life. And like many families with beds, we checked along for a little while and I think had a false sense of security. And every time he would have an ache or a pain, we would book it to the ER and so we started to feel like, you know, should we do this or should we not? And we were at the height of COVID before the vaccines came out. It was literally like the, the peak week um, and things were pretty bad here where we live. All the, all the ERs were full and like 24 hour waits for ambulances and stuff. And he had a funny feeling in his leg. It was like 9 a.m. And he just said, honey, I don't feel right. And so I said, okay, we're, he asked to go to the ER for the first time. So I knew that that was serious and, and we booked it and I drove him because there was no ambulance to be had. And luckily the ER was close and it was, it's almost like slow-mo looking back. We got to the ER, it was empty and because it was a cardiac ER. So no one wanted to go to the, to the emergency room unless they had COVID. Um, and so they let us right through and it was, it was crazy, Katie. I just remember them. They kind of push back like that happens sometimes with feds patients. And as soon as they did a CT scan, they came rushing in and they were like, he has to go to emergency surgery now. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, 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 we, we don't live in Houston, which is Houston is where all of our amazing medical team is and, and experts and beds. And I said, no, we have to care flight him. We have to do it. And they said, there's no time we will do this now to save his life. He's lost all blood flow in his legs. So, and they wheeled him back and it was, it was crazy. I started calling his sisters and his mom and trying not to scare them and, and trying to quickly record like a goodbye message just in case for our kids. It was hard, it was really hard, but I kind of went into just like a emotionless mode. I knew that I had to stay strong because he was scared. I was scared and his family was scared. Um, And so I just, they took him back. I went to the car because of COVID. I couldn't really be in many places in the hospital. And so I just got into my car and I prayed really hard because I wasn't entirely sure what they were doing to him. I just knew that they were trying to fix whatever was broken. Um, and it was a dissection and, um, 
then I started calling a lot of people, asking them to pray the entire beds community. It was really, really amazing. They all came out to pray for us. Um, and I really felt the love and I sat in that car for a few hours and then finally got the call from the surgeon that he had done. Okay. Thank God. Yeah. And, and I was able to see him a few hours later, but it was a, a really tough time. And it was, it was wild because it was just a little tingle. I think we were expecting like a gigantic pain or something, um, something more clear, but in this case, you know, it, it was an odd feeling, but not obvious pain. And I'm so grateful that we were able to get into the ER and we picked the right ER with the right providers. And his surgeon just happened to be on call that day. Like everything fell into place. It was truly a miracle that we were able to get him the help we did that quickly. Definitely saved his life. That's amazing. And I think it is like, you know, it's a lot of people listening to this. I think some, so many of us struggle with when to go to the ER, right? Yeah. Like it's, and especially I can imagine like during COVID, like I had a scare where I really did not want to go to the ER and I convinced myself kind of not to a couple of times. And one time I did convince myself that I really needed to go because it was severe, but you know, in his experience, like I, it strikes me that he recognized this is not like, it's a tingle, right? But he said, this doesn't feel right. Like he I did. don't feel right. And he knew. That's right. That, and I think that's the distinguishing factor now having talked to the doctors is if you feel something that does not feel normal to you and is really unusual and sustained for more than a few minutes, don't hesitate. I mean, it was COVID. We were terrified. We weren't vaccinated. We didn't know a lot about it back then, but that saves lives. And I would much rather people in our community go and get checked out, even if it means a hassle, than to have it potentially be life-threatening and not get the help they need. Yeah. So what about day-to-day -day life as a spouse? Day-to-day, yeah. -day, um, it really depends. I think, you know, at, when we've had these big moments in our vet's journey, like the diagnosis, like when we found out our child, you know, had some issues going on um, related or, or Mike having the dissection, and those moments you're heightened and you're, at least for me, I felt super grateful to have any time with them and, and just really hyper aware of the gift of their presence. And, but I'm not going to lie, you know, as things get back to normal, sometimes it's easy to lose that perspective. So I constantly try to just remind myself every morning, how grateful I am that they're with me and that every day is a gift and, and not to throw that away. And I think, you know, I also want to reassure people. I know we have a lot of new people in our beds community and it can be scary those early days, especially, you know, I really wanted to put my child in a bubble. <laughs> he was two when he was diagnosed. And um, we had to have a lot of hard conversations with our medical team, which I would encourage everyone to, to get expert input. Um, and then to really talk to your family and make the right decision for your unique situation. For us, you know, we have the null um, mutation. So that is different. And we still don't know a lot about what that means. We've lost a lot of lives in our family to VED. So it's still very serious and very severe. Um, but in our case, 
And we've chosen to try to let our kiddo have as normal a life as possible. So right now, you know, he's a little guy, he plays sports and we don't let him do anything crazy, you know, hits or, or anything that would be um, putting him at major risk, but we try to let him live a really normal life. And same thing for my husband, you know, he doesn't run marathons anymore. We actually used to run them. <laughs> um, he had a totally normal childhood because he was diagnosed in his forties. And um, so life, you know, most days looks fairly normal. And I want to assure people that that can be, it's, it's not every day and it's no guarantee, but most days feel really normal. And, but we've got the plan in the background and we've got our medical bracelets and we know what to do. And I think that's the key. And then the other thing is just being grateful every day, really trying to, trying to keep in mind that I think in some ways vets has been a gift to our family because it's made us hyper aware that that time is really precious. Mm -hmm. And if you had one, I have one last question for you. If you have advice for a medical professional about like what you would want them to know about that, yeah. what would that be? Take it seriously and listen to your patient. I think the providers that have been put in our way that were compassionate and really listened always got it right. Um, be humble, be willing to collaborate, you know, be, be willing to say that you don't know as much as you want to about this condition. And just, I think more than anything, really listening to the patient, trusting them um, and being willing to collaborate are, are huge um, in getting it right. And I just want to give a shout out to those who, who have dedicated their careers to helping people with VEDS. We have incredible medical practitioners who are experts and even those who are not, who, who have taken patients seriously and listened to them and been collaborated. And that saves lives, countless lives. And we've seen it right here in our community with the folks that have treated my son and my husband. So I want to give a shout out to them. We're incredibly grateful. Um, and it would be a whole different ball game without them. Yeah. I mean, there are some truly amazing medical professionals in our community and it has grown too. Like just five, what, four, five years ago, I knew of like three and then I knew of five and then I knew of six. And now I know of much, like many, many more. Yeah. who are working on this disorder, who are caring for people with this disorder, who are doing research. Like, it really does feel like it is a slow explosion it that does. is happening, and it's so exciting. And I think as more people get diagnosed, you know, we have worked hard as a community to kind of catalog folks that have been really helpful, compassionate providers so that if we're traveling to say, I know every time we travel, that's another thing I didn't mention, we make a travel plan. And again, we're not likely to see anything happen, but the fact that we have a plan in place gives us peace of mind that wherever we go, we've got insurance. You know, we always get travel insurance if we travel abroad and really make sure that it is going to work in the case of a dissection or any kind of event. And then we usually try to contact someone with beds who lives there to know where the best care can be found. And those things and thanks to this community, you know, we're starting to really grow that network of educated providers. Yeah. Yeah, that's so powerful that you can reach out to somebody in another country and get information from them about this. Like we are very connected. We are. 
No pun intended. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't pun, intended. <laughs> pun intended. Pun We scary. are, and I, I really think those connections make us stronger, Katie. I mean, that's one of the things I just want to um, convey is that I, I just encourage everybody to reach out, like let let people know what your needs are, because chances are good that someone else in this community is feeling that way, or maybe can help with that need. And there's power in that. And often with VEDS, we feel out of control and that's a really scary feeling, but we can take back some of that power by leveraging this community. I would really encourage everyone, this community gives so much to us. I would encourage each person to think about their purpose and what role they can play in the VEDS community. There are so many ways to get involved, whether it's in our action month in October or doing fundraisers like Cookies for the Cure, going to our conference or in my case, you know, I started a prayer call. I would just encourage each person to think about your gifts and your strengths and find a way to give back to this community. It will help you to feel um, like you are doing something in a positive light. And uh, we all have a lot of gifts to give. So that's my last advice. Yeah. So it's like the power of community and advocacy combined. Yes, yes exactly. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much. I mean, I think that has really... I think I've probably said this before in other interviews, but that really changed my life. Like when I started doing this podcast and when I started YouTubing and all the other things that I've gotten into, like it has really changed the way that I see myself and my condition. That's awesome. And it has been a very powerful experience. I love that. And you've touched so many of us through that. So thank you for that. I hope it gets more people involved, really. I mean, I really hope that, you know, if you want to be involved, there are ways. And I think that's really, you know, the bottom line of what you're saying, right, is everybody has something that they're good at. That's right. Everybody has value to bring and, and a purpose in this world. And I think just because our bodies may work differently doesn't mean that we aren't every bit as special and unique in our purpose. So I'd love to see everyone who's touched by VEDS really shine. Um, and find a way to plug in and, and um, would love to see that. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing sure. that and, and your story and your perspective. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you everyone for listening in today. And thank you, Katie, for sharing your story with us. Katie wanted to share with everyone that they put together a kid's book for her son and other kids in the community called Wonderfully Made. Wonderfully Made is an uplifting children's book about VEDS with child-friendly explanations about how VEDS impacts the body, caring for bodies with VEDS, and encourages people impacted by VEDS to live out their purpose. It is being made available for free to anyone impacted by VEDS, and once it is on Kindle, the link will be included in the episode show notes for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to staying connected on your podcast player so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you like this show, I hope you will consider sharing it with your friends on social media to help us raise awareness of ads together. You can also support the production of this podcast by joining my Patreon at patreon.com translucent one. Thank you so much, everyone, and I will see you next season.